This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hello, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Ruben Epstein Show, episode number 12, along with Dove Elephant and Rabbi Yitzhak Califan. Thank you so much for joining us here this evening. Before we begin with this dating and marriage edition of the show, I would just want to throw a few things out here to our viewers. Number one is you can always email in the show email at marriagepro.co. All of your feedback is greatly, greatly appreciated. All of your comments, all of your questions. Now, tonight's show is going to be a dating and marriage-related Q&A with Rabbi Califan and Dove as our, as our handy-dandy um, media, moderator. Mediator? <laughs> moderator. Um, so um, tonight's show, very, very special edition. If you would like to send in your questions live during the show, feel free to email email at marriagepro.co, not .com, email at marriagepro.co. You can also stream these shows on TorahAnytime.com, as well as on all platforms that stream podcasts. We also want to remind our viewers about the Date Like a Pro and Marriage Curriculum Seminars, which are both um, which are both on marriagepro.co. You can get those for 25% off by entering 25OFF at checkout. I also want to tell our viewers, many of them are single girls. Um, there was a girl who had an initiative as a springboard for this show, from this show, to begin a new collaborative effort with single girls, along with Rabbi Califan, along with Rabbi Ben Shushan, Yossi Ben Shushan, um, as well as some others, where girls can have a smaller, more intimate conversation about various matters that pertain to their lives. Um, that email for anybody who wants to sign up is called NASA Now at Gmail, N A A S E H now nasa now at gmail.com it's already begun but there are more cohorts which are being formed constantly we also want to remind you to sign up to the Torah anytime daily dose at 929-355-4268 and i also want to tell you that on june 21st Torah anytime is running a massive monster fundraiser to be able to take their entire platform to the next level please stay tuned for details about that couple more things that i want to throw out there one is i just want to say um, today, Rabaruch Ben Chayadaba, Rabaruch Sachs, was Baruch Hashem released from the hospital after months and months of being in a hospital and hospitalized. And it's just a tremendous simcha for the Sachs and Lefkowitz Mishpachas, as well as for Klal Yisrael, uh, Yeshiva of Staten Island. And it's, it's so good in so much darkness to be able to see some uh, glimmers of light. So Baruch Hashem, we just wanted to publicly thank Hashem for that. As well as just the last thing I want to throw out there, and then I'll turn it over to Dove, that um, this show has been a lot of interviews two times a week up until Shavuos. After Shavuos, we took a one-week break. And thank you for all of you who reached out and were asking about, where, where are you? What happened? What's going on? Baruch Hashem, we're still, we're still around and we're still you know, going full throttle forward. However, the format of the show is going to start on a bit of a rotation with Rabbi Califan Q&A about once a month. And then I have Rabbi Tzvi Sittner coming on once a month and... Rabbi Yassi Ben Shushan coming on once a month, and then an interview once a month. So that will be the new format going forward for the foreseeable future, Mr. Shem. With that being said, Dove Elephant, I pass it over to you. And Rabbi Califan, thank you so much for taking of your time and for joining us here tonight on this edition of the Rabbi Ruben Epstein Show. Thank you, thank you both so much. Thank you, and it's a privilege and honor to be able to present these questions on behalf of our worldwide audience and to address these crucial questions. Let's start with, and again, we, we're on a timer here. I will be watching the clock, so let's try to keep them short and sweet. Anyone who needs comprehensive marriage advice, please reach out or download the course and then reach out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I'll let you reach out first, but it's a good idea to download the course. Let's start with a dating question for our dating audience, and every dating question always helps out for those married ready anyway. So, does dating longer give a better idea of what the person will be like after marriage? And we'll throw in now. If not, how can we apply what we see on a date? Or maybe even if yes, how can we apply what we see on a date to a different reality of marriage? Because it seems that marriage is very different than dating. So is dating longer going to help? And in general, how does one apply what they see on a date to what happens in marriage? Rabbi Califan, start us out. Okay, so the first, the first part of your question, um, you know, does dating longer mean you're going to know them better? That question is extremely relative, right? If I say to you, well, you've gone out twice, you know everything you need to know about them, 
you might say to me, what do you mean? If I date them for three or four or five or eight times, I will know them better. And it's a fact, you will know them better. But on the other hand, if you tell me I've dated them for six months, I might say, well, probably at a certain point, you already knew everything you're going to know at this point. So it's a very, very relative question as to where, where you're coming from. What's the starting point with that question? You know, in other words, are, are we starting at a point where they're really, really not seeing each other for very long? Or are we starting at a point where they've already seen each other for a very long time? And therefore, to properly answer it, there's a guideline. There comes a point where you're not really being mechadish that much. You might be mechadish certain things, but more or less not that much. And remember, the purpose of dating is not to date. The purpose of dating is to find a spouse and get married. If they're dating for the point of just dating, so this is going to continue forever and ever. But if they're dating for the point of getting married, then as soon as you see, I've basically got over here, you know, my lists are the things that, that, I, that are important to me, the things that are important that are not there, the my list, the chisrenes, I've pretty much gone over it. I've got the feelings. There's, you know, there is, there's attractions or whatever else is supposed to be. Now you got to commit to it. And there's no question that every single person, even the one who's asking the question, whether that's a girl or that's a boy, they're all going to be different. They're going to be different as they date a bit more, but there comes a point where you're not crossing a line anymore in the relationship. You need further commitment. Then comes the engagement. And then all of a sudden people's relationships begin to change again because now we've got a new commitment and things open up a little. And then comes the wedding and the day after the wedding and there's more, it's a deeper commitment. It's a, that's, that's it. And then slowly we start to allow the other person to see who we are. We're more comfortable with them. They allow us to see who they are and how we react. And that's, that's a normal part of growth in a relationship and development of a relationship. So yeah, if you date longer than one date, to two dates, you're going to know more from two to four. But there's no way that you can put a number on such a thing because there's so much that's dependent on who the boy is, who the girl is, where they're coming from, what they need. You can't really put any number on this for any single person. It really depends on that couple. And they have to know we're no longer being mechadish anything. Now and you made a point, you made a point, which interesting point, that after engagement, slowly they start opening up and showing themselves. So are you right. saying that on dating, they really don't know anything about each other? And then why are we doing it? It's not that they don't know anything about each other. They know a lot about each other, but they don't know everything. Right. And the only way you would know everything was if you were married for many years, right? People who are married five years, 10 years are still discovering things about their spouses. Milas, chisreinas, difficulties, needs, they're still learning. They're learning. It's a constant learning experience and it's a constant growing experience. And that is the commitment of marriage. The commitment of marriage is not, if you're perfect, I'm going to take you. The commitment of marriage is, I'm taking this person. We're going to build a relationship with this person, with everything that they have. Their mailas, their chisreinis, and all of their needs from all the different sides. So when we're dating if we're looking for perfection, we're trying to see, is this the perfect spouse? So you better stop dating because you ain't never going to find that. That's just not going to happen. That doesn't come across. You need to find somebody. It's good. Then comes the commitment. And at that first stage of the commitment, we start to see, right? People see all the time during engagement, you become a little bit more relaxed. Listen, you go on a first date. Let's just take the first date. The guy sits there in his suit and tie, Right. Who wears a suit and tie when he's talking to his wife? That just doesn't happen. In fact, the suit and tie comes off by date number four, five, six, seven, depending on who they are, where they are. And then when they're engaged, what, he's going to wear a suit and tie the entire engagement every single time? It's, it's, it's not going to work out. He goes for a Shabbos. He's going to wear a suit and tie the entire time. He's not going to take it off? I mean, maybe it depends on the circle, right? Everything depends on what's the norm for where they're coming from. So keep in mind, that we're, we're, we're trying, not looking for perfect. We're looking for a, a spouse that we can build a relationship with the same way we're not perfect and we're not opening up every single part of ourselves. So too, they're not perfect and they're not opening up every single part of themselves. But we're going to get 
there and we're going to build that relationship. And that's marriage, discovering the other person and building together with them. So can dating longer help? Sure. But there definitely comes a point, and for every relationship, it's different, where it's just redundant. You're not gaining anything more. You know what you know. You either commit to it or leave it. We want to speak to that and maybe focus a little bit more on the second half of the question as well about how we apply what we see on a date to the different reality of marriage. How does that help us? For sure. Okay, thank you. So thank you, Dovin. Thank you, Rabbi Talifan, again. It's, it's, it's a schuss to do the show with you so often and so many times. So thank you very much. Um, I, I want to tell you a few things. One is, to, to me, I, I think there's a lot of people who date, um, but they're, not da- they're dating a long time, but they're not necessarily dating smartly. They're not focused on the, what the potential lies within the date. So a lot of people, they go out and they're, da- let's say they're on date number five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever it is. And obviously here we're not talking about the, you know, the shows. We're not talking about that side of things. We're talking about people who are like dating the, the way, the way us Litvox date, you know, like we're going on a proper date. And what, what tends to happen with a lot of people is that they're dating, but they're not dating smart. They're not dating emotionally. They're not asking emotional questions. They're not connecting on an emotional level. They're going through the, the like side of things rather than the quote unquote love side of things. Meaning I like to look at it that, there's a lot of spouses that like each other. They don't love each other. And then there's a lot of spouses that love each other. They don't like each other. You, you could have somebody who, you know, they respect their spouse. That person is so chashev and they share it all hashkafically. It's all the same thing and yada, yada, yada. So they, they love who they're married to in that sense. Like they respect them. They admire them. They look up to them. But if you said like, would you like to go on vacation, you know, to Florida with them, Terrence Israel and go, you know, whatever, no, no, absolutely. Like, no, I can't see myself. You know, we don't gel. We don't have that that cohesive relationship. On the other side, there are people who have that cohesive relationship, and but they just don't develop that depth to the relationship. So I think that there has to be both sides, the like and the love. That's how I would call it, the like and the love. And to, to what Rabbi Califano was saying is that I think that it's, 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 it's like a runway, meaning the dating is just to make sure that all the pieces are aligned so that this plane could take off and get off the ground. So when you, when you feel confident and comfortable that all these things are there, that's when you sort of know it's, it's time to be able to, to commit. I once heard an awesome line from, um, from Rabbi Sharl Reisman, which I later saw was, a, it was Rashi. <laughs> it was Rashi. You know, it's like when you hear a line, you're like, wow, that's incredible. And then it's like, oh, it's just, it's Ra- not, it's just Rashi, but like, it's Rashi. It's Rashi on Mishle. Rashi says, Batach ba leiv bala that we sing this on Friday night, right? Aisha style. Batach ba leiv bala that a, a woman will, a husband, he'll trust her. He'll feel like I can leave the house and she'll make right decisions. I can, I can trust that this person, I'm, I'm aligning myself into a 50-50 partnership. And again, 100-100, but you're aligning yourself completely with this person in terms of raising your children, hashkafically how you're going to be raising them, with your money, with your time, with your emotions. Once you see that this is a worthwhile investment, there's a batach, there's a bitachon, like there's a trust that gets built and earned into the relationship. And I, I, I think that that's that ha- half of things. And I'm not going to go on for much longer, but to the other point, I think that there's a lot of people who do get married and then they realize that they didn't date so smart they didn't really focus on the panemius. They didn't really go out and, and the hop like who the person that they're dating. They had a lot of like, but they're not a lot of love, meaning they had a lot of things that they like about them. They gel with them. They want to go on vacation with them. They want to spend time with them. But then they realize after like, oh, I wasn't really looking for the core issues for who this person's going to be in five, 10 years from now. They're not asking themselves, is this person going to make a good husband or wife? They're not asking themselves that question. They're just like, am I having a good date? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Okay, let's, let's propose. And then only during engagement or marriage, do they say, hey, what happened here? I, I was scammed. This is not what I signed up for. And it's no, it is what you signed up for. You just didn't do, you didn't do your dating in, in a proper way. Abhi Calvin, looks like you want to say something. No, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening clear. I'm listening clear. Let me wrap up your point. (laughs) So your point, is you're dating, that second half was dating to develop trust. I mean, that was your first half, actually. Date to develop the trust. And date date and focus on the core. Focus on the person. Ask yourself, if this person was my spouse in five years from now, would I... Would I be happy with that? Can I imagine? Can I imagine this guy learning with my child? Can I imagine this woman, you know, being upstate for the summer and, and taking care of these kids? And I'm not going to come up and be like, "You ruined them hashkafically." 
you know, that, that we're going on vacation. I know I could trust this person or whatever, whatever you envision your marriage to be, make sure that those building blocks are there. And then the commitment, exactly like Rabbi Calavan is saying, like the commitment, once it's there, so now you're committed. I think there's very few people who look back after 20 years of marriage and say, oh, when I was dating, I, I knew I was going to have a marriage that was going to look exactly like this. No, who, nobody does that. Like you see that the building blocks are there and then you realize now it's time to build. It's like you buy a piece of land and you can envision the building that will be there, but it's only once the building is built, you're like, oh yeah. But I also didn't realize that we couldn't build on this corner and we're going to have this issue. I'm going to hire this contractor. It's just the building blocks that they're all in place. That's when you, that's what the commitment of marriage is. I don't think there's anybody who walks into a marriage and has, yeah, this is exactly how I envisioned it five, 10, 20 years later. They don't know the challenges they're going to face. They don't know the issues they're going to have with their children, you know, or the upside. They don't know any of that. But if you feel that the pieces are there, then you probably will have a good recipe for success. If I, if I can just add, if somebody really thinks that they can envision exactly what it's going to be in five years from now, they're trying to control way too much. The person, life, everything else. That's just not life. We don't control other people. We don't control their reactions. We don't control what their needs are. We don't control the world around us. And therefore, the, the mere fact of living life tells us that we have no idea what's coming. We're simply looking for somebody that we're going to commit and go through life with, including what they're going to be. We don't know what they're going to be, just like they don't know who we're going to be. We have no idea what... I stand at chuppahs, and I watch this couple standing under that chuppah, and I think to myself, I wonder if they would commit exactly the same way if they knew what was coming in the re- up in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of their life, <laughs> would they commit to being to with the same people exactly the same? And the ch- chances are, who knows? I mean, who knows, really? Who knows? The bracha is that they don't know. We don't know what's coming. And that's why we go down the road. When somebody opens a business, he doesn't know what's coming. When someone starts a project, they don't know what's coming. They... They know they want to start this project. They commit to it. They want to do it. And then we're going to deal with whatever comes up along the way. Rabbi Califan, you once had a great line. You said that at the end of Shana Rishayna, that's when most guys feel, okay, now I'm ready to date. Now, <laughs> now, I, now I know what this is all about. I, I got it. I understand you know, what my challenges will be. Now I'm ready to, to jump into that. I, I think that point, that point that you just said is, is, is such an important point, though. I know we want to move on to another question, but I think at this point it, it's worth spending another few seconds on it. Um, the idea that a lot of people get married and then they start controlling their spouse because they, they, they have the vision so they try to accelerate the process by, oh, but you're not doing this right. Oh, but we have to do it. It's like, one second. This is this is a journey of a million miles. You have to take it day by day and step by step to build it. And a lot of times what we see when people are are forcing something, it comes from that because they have their their vision. They have their it's, it's so painted. It's so clear. They have their lines will guide it in. And it's like one second. If you just relax for just a minute, you'll see that everything will get there. And sometimes after you get married, the first few months are extremely rocky because that's when that's when the real work starts and that's when the premium comes to, to the surface. And a lot of people, unfortunately, during those times, they suffer so much because it, this is not their grand plans. This is not how they envisioned it. And that's when they start running into like, one well, minute, how do I reconcile what I thought it was going to be and what it actually is? So you um, inspired me to the next question, if you don't mind. Um, this might be not, not on the script as much, but let's springboard off what you said. You mentioned that it happens um, that you get people who date for the wrong way, the wrong reason, they turn around married and they end up, this is, they weren't dating for the right reasons. What do you say to that couple? They say, tough luck, start over? Or what do you say to that couple? <laughs> Let's let Rabbi Califan start this one. No, no, I mean, I, this I want to hear from you. <laughs> so, so, Okay, so in cases where this is a, it is a it is a case by case basis. I think there's no question about it. If somebody realizes, you know, a few months into marriage, this is not what I signed up for, um, and and this issue is is much bigger than I thought, or there's there's a lot of work that that's involved. Obviously, you need guidance. Obviously, you need gedolim who are gonna, you know, one of the one of the greatest pieces of advice you gave me, Rabbi Califan, many years ago. You said there's certain times that you wanna. You want to make a, a, a decision on something. Um, and you know you're making the right decision. 
But at the end of the day, the decision might be challenged by somebody. So you told me, find yourself a very, very recognized gadol, somebody who nobody will challenge, run it by him, and he's the one who gave that decision. So sometimes you have a situation where a couple wants to know, should we call it quits or should we put in the work? Should we continue, you know, fighting for this marriage or should we, should we not? You know, or more, there's many life decisions like that. So with your guidance, there, would be, there were many times where I would go to, again, I won't mention any names on air, but there were many that I would go to and sit with them and say, this is the situation. This is how I see it. And they would say, yeah, 100%. This is what it is. For example... There are many, many people who have questions before they get married. They have a history. They want to know, does my history need to be disclosed to the other party? If so, when and how? So sometimes they call me up and sometimes it's a very simple question or a little bit deeper, but I feel you know comfortable. This is what the answer is. But sometimes I'll say, that's a great question. Let's get Rev brand name on the phone, somebody who has much bigger shoulders than me, somebody who's much wiser than me, and let's hear what they have to say. So if one day somebody comes back and says, how did you decide not to say something or to say something? It's a very good idea to have somebody in your, in your corner who's able to give you, this is the stempel that I have from this and this person. So it's not, it's not so simple. But many times, Dove, to, to your question, I think a lot of times people, people do realize that they thought that life was, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of dessert. And they realize it's a bunch of entrees. You know, there's a little bit of work that goes into this. This is not so simple. This, this is something that has to be, there's an avoid to marriage that I think everybody discovers sometime within like three to nine months after getting married. The first few months, it's usually like, la, 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 you're Sheva Brachas, you're settling in. And then like after a little bit, you're like, my spouse is not Mashiach. You know, my wife has her flaws. Like you start to realize that there's, a, there, there's an avoid. And more often than not, this I will say, more often than not, Tell me, Rabbi Califan, if you agree with this. A person who embraces his Aveda will define himself in a, in a very beautiful way. He'll find that his wife compliments him, not that she says good job, but she compliments who he is, that she challenges him. She, makes, she brings out the best in him if he's allowing that to happen. He's able to finally learn to be calm, to be patient, to work on his midas. Like a wife will challenge you like no one else will challenge you. I always like to say that most challenges in life are external challenges. It could be, it could be the economy or it could be whatever it is. But a husband and wife, it's an internal challenge. Like a wife will say to her husband, how did you think that? He's like, how did I think that? I don't know. I, the thought popped into my brain. How, my brain. How did you? How did you feel that? I'm sorry for feeling what I felt. Like they challenge you who you are as a person. And when you embrace that challenge and you realize, like she's the Azer Kinegle, she's the greatest person in the world. Hashem gave you such an incredible matana to help you learn what it means to connect to yourself and connect through somebody else to Hashem. That's an incredible matana. You won't fight it so much. You'd be like, whoa, one second, this is a great opportunity for me to really work on myself. I, I once gave a speech. I know I'm going on a little long, but I wanted to tell you this. I think this is a very important thing. I once gave a speech, and at the end of the speech, I was walking out, and a woman stopped me. She was married probably 45 years, and she says, yeah, your speech was very nice, but I'm married 45 years, and my husband, you know, he has this and this and this challenge. So, you know, the fact that I didn't deal with this for 45 years, like, I'm right that I didn't, like, I have a right to not have dealt with it, or I have a right to just have a mediocre marriage. So I was running out, I turned, I said, great choice, great choice, you know, where's your life? It's 45 years later, great choice. You didn't want to fess up to the avoid that this, that this entailed. So what did you do? So you just threw away your whole life, your marriage, your children, for what? Because you didn't want to embrace the fact that there was an avaydi here that you didn't foresee coming when you were dating? That's, that's just a chaval. That's just a shame. So sometimes the answer is, this is mamish like a mekach This is not what we expected. But more often than not, the definition of what your avaydi is is going to define you and turn you into a bigger, better version of yourself. So embrace that. Don't run away from that. It's one of the greatest gifts that Hashem could give you as a wife, as a husband. Once you have that, don't sit there fighting it and saying, well, I didn't see this coming. So then it must be a Mecca This can't be my Bashard. You know, I got to go run to like a Mokobo to tell me that my other Bashard is waiting for me somewhere across the world. No, embrace the challenge that you have right now. And you're going to find that you're going to come out into being a, a much bigger, better person than you thought you could be before. Ruben, I, I definitely agree with you overall what you're saying. I would like to maybe sum it up a little bit. When a person gets married, whether they're dating at that point or they're married already in that marriage, we always talk about the avoid of the marriage, the avoid of the marriage, the avoid of the marriage. 
the reason you're getting married, part of it is obviously for that spouse and, and to do that work. If we think that we're getting married because everything's going to be exactly the way that I want it now, we're missing the whole boat. There's that commitment. We need to do the work and that's how we grow. And that's how you have an incredible marriage. There's no such thing as they got married and they just lived happily ever after. People say they got married and they lived happily ever after a lot of hard work. (laughs) That's what makes sense. Anybody who thinks it's, and it's really no different in Yiddishkeit. People say, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go learn a daf. And the daf is hard. And the commitment to the daf is hard. And then it doesn't go. And they think to themselves, so, so, you know what? It's the daf's not for me. Uh, Instead, I'll do chumash. And then the chumash doesn't go. And that's too difficult. Yeah, chumash is not for me. Everything's not for me. And then the people in jobs, this job is not for me because the commitment isn't there. When we talk about the concept of commitment, which is the stuff that makes us grow, it's not a commitment of, if I can, I'll try. I'll try means no, it's not going to go. Commitment means if I commit to daf, to doing the daf every single day, I'm going to learn daf yemi. That means I am committed. Every single day, no matter how tired I am at the end of the day, no matter how early I have to start out, no matter what is going on in my life, I need to catch up my daf yemi. When we talk about being Mavri Sedra and learning over, right, the parsha every single week, being Mavri Sedra, mitzvah, brought down shulchan you have to do Mavri Sedra every single week. That's a commitment. You got to do it. You've, but it's not a, I'll try. If it's nice, yeah, maybe. When we have chavrusas, it's a commitment. The things in life that are important to us, those are commitments. When we commit, then no matter what's happening, we try to move, move through it and get to the other side of it because it's something that we want, we've committed to, and we're going to do it. But if we're kind of trying it out, so we dated the person and now we got married and nobody ever taught us in our lifetime that we have to work for things and that we have to work on things and that we have commitments in life that require us putting in effort, not everything being served to us on a silver platter, then how are we supposed to get married and all of a sudden say, oh, wow, uh, now I have to work on this? That's going to be a big kasha. So the chinuch has to start earlier of everything in life requires work. Nothing is a silver platter. Commitment is very important. So when we get to walking down that aisle, we're already doing it with the concept of I'm committing to this marriage, not I'm going to try it out. And then if it's no good, and we'll see. Because so many of those couples that come crying with, he's not good and she's not good and this is a problem and that's a problem, it's lacking in commitment. It's lacking in the desire to do the work and make this happen. And when the desire to do the, so many of them, when they start seeing what their options are and their options aren't so great, then all of a sudden, they're much more committed to making this work. Sometimes I actually see people who are coming from, you know, maybe a little bit more of an emptier background. They're not running back home to mommy and daddy so fast. They, they have less to run home to. Their commitment to the marriage is greater because mm-hmm. they're, they, they know they need to make this work. And, and that's a correct ashkafa. You need to make this work. That's what it is. We need to work. Yes, there are times where Yudayle Teira will tell us, you know what, this is not one of those cases. It's, it's understandable, we hear. But by and large, no, we need to make this work. It's a real commitment. I, we might have to work on our midas to make that happen. Great, that's why you got married. Now start working on your midas. You're never gonna be able to work on your midas as a single person the way you'll be able to work on them when you're married. There are so many people who have told me they in, in their entire lifetime, they never got angry until they got married. And uh, I'm not a bakas. Uh, a woman, she'll say, I never, ever get angry. That was actually my next question. You know, why does marriage bring out our worst side? Right. So I guess you're, we'll, we'll, we'll call that the segue to the next question, but we're not spending too much time on it. Because <laughs> I'm a great person. You see, I don't get angry. It's this person that I married. They're the ones at fault. They're the ones who make me get angry. Somebody makes me get angry. I got news for you. Nobody makes you get angry. You choose your reaction to any situation. You can be calm. You can be collected. You can be hurt. You can be upset. But you don't have to get angry. And when you say that somebody else is making me get angry, that's really, you're being maida, that you have no control. They are controlling my midos. 
well, then they're not your midos. And our job, according to Ashkafas of Torah, is to constantly be working on our midos. And therefore, the marriage, which is a normal relationship between a man and a woman, it's going to put us at odds with our own midos. So sure, our entire life, we never got angry. You know why? It never mattered. It just never mattered. Bachram have roommates. And you know what? The roommate's a real pain. Okay, he's a pain. So what do you do? You live with it. Why? Because in a year from now, he's not going to be my roommate. And if I want, I can leave the room. So there's no commitment. And it is what it is. Finished. So there's no point in my... So give us a more positive twist. You're making it sound like we're just going through the ringer. It's all about working on our midas. It's like a mustard smooth. And, definitely, you know, obviously. Meshkiach's office, the whole life. Your question was, it's bringing out the bad midos in us. So in order to understand where that's coming from, it's coming from the fact that I can't leave this now. I'm stuck in this now. So how do I make this? So you know what? It's automatically everybody else's fault. It's not everybody else's fault. That's the problem. It's mine. I've got to do the work. If a guy does the work, if a girl does the work, deals with what they have to, they are going to be extremely fulfilled and satisfied. And they're going to have an incredible relationship because they've done the work. The people who run away from doing the work, they're the same people who don't feel satisfied or fulfilled in the jobs that they do because they're not committed to them. They're not willing to do the work. Maybe they have issues with their employer or their employees. Or it, it, it's We have to always be looking at, okay, what is it that I could be able to do here too? Okay. I want to say something that, um, there's like 20 thoughts that flew into my mind, but I'll just say, I'll just say the one that we hear that, that I wanted to jump into something that Rabbi Califan just mentioned. There's an incredible book by uh, Rabbi Yisrael Roll. The book is called Bring Out the Best. It's an incredible, incredible book that I would suggest anybody who wants to um, get a weekly dose and understanding of yourself and build up your confidence through the lens of the altar of Slabatka, which is what he was he was known for. He took all of his mechtavim and, and, and he applies it parsha by parsha. It's an English book. Um, bring out the best. It's an incredible, incredible book. And one of the things that he writes in that book is that a person should start saying to himself, I allowed myself to get angry. Because if you blame someone else, what you're basically saying is, I have no control. I allow everyone around me to control me. I, I, when you get jealous, I allowed myself to be jealous. I allowed myself, says, I'm the one who's in control. The, the other person doesn't have, you know, shlita over me. They're not able to control how I feel about something else. It's very difficult. I think it's a, it's a challenging thing to say because if you ask most people, like, last time you got angry, what happened? They'll say, well, my wife and my husband, you know, like, that's like the first thing that pops into their brain is they, they put someone else's name at the beginning of the sentence. I'm not angry. They did something wrong. So I have a right to be angry. But it was all them. They caused everything. So that what that basically means is that you have no control over your emotions. So when you take a chryas for it, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm the only one who decides if I'm angry, if I'm happy, if I got up in the morning in a good mood or a bad mood. I controlled my destiny for that day. That's a certain achrayas that a person has to take. I think that's just, it's, it's such an avoid. It's such a challenge to be able to do that. But as Rabbi Califat is talking, I just want to say that I think it's funny because most, like, let's say single girls, they're talking to their friends, like, I can't wait to get married. I can't wait to get married. You know, like, if they talk to like married people or they hear us talking, they're like, oh my gosh, what are we getting ourselves into? <laughs> this sounds okay. like... Let them think that. That's good. <laughs> Let them realize. You know, when, when you're talking, I, I was thinking... We hear all the time, especially now everybody's stuck at home, right? You hear things, my kids are making me crazy. Your kids are being kids. They're not making us crazy. When children do things, we get to choose our responses. Is our response to the kid what the kid needs? Or is our response what we decide we're just going to blurt out or say or scream or do or whatever because that's our feeling right now instead of looking at what does this poor kid need now? Does he need a hug? Does he need... You know, what, what What do they need? And instead, we just let them have it because our kids are making us crazy. No, no. We get to choose how we respond. So, yeah, it's it's that's mamish what it is. I will not allow everybody else to control my responses. Those, those are in my heart. And that's a big avoid. You're right. Yeah, it's challenging. Okay, so, yeah, that was a big one there, covering um, from dating through marriage and... Recognizing the situation you're in, whether you dated properly or not, you're in this marriage and commit to it 
and make it work, it's an Avaida, the fruits, the rewards will be worth it. And we'll emphasize that for those who are getting nervous who are watching a night. <laughs> um, it will it will ultimately pay off. I just want to throw something out over here that um, anybody who wants know that anybody who wants to um, who wants to submit questions, we have twenty five minutes left. You can email email at marriagepro.co, and we will try to get to uh, some submitted right. questions. Okay, go ahead. Let's give uh, the dating crew another question. I am worried that I will become an older single. What can I do to avoid that? Is this is this a physical is this a physical age question or is this like a like a mindset question like a, like an Ooh, that's a good point. Um, well, the, the questioner did throw in, you know, you look around. Don't tell you it's special to this. I look around. I see older people. I see people forty year old and not married, and I'm nervous. So maybe I'm nineteen. Maybe I'm eighteen. Maybe I'm twenty two. Maybe I'm twenty four. But I'm nervous that I'm not going to get married for a long, long time, or not at all. What? can I do to avoid that problem? Well, Rabbi Califan, this is yours. <laughs> problem? Date? Get good guidance and be realistic. Date like a pro. Okay, good. No, we should repeat That's that. It. We should repeat that. Davin? Davin? Date? Good guidance and be realistic. Wow. Uh. It's it, this 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 topic is is it, it's it's one of the hardest topics for me to 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 talk about. Meaning that 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 is the practical side of things, but I don't know if there was ever a time where where many girls grew up with such a pressure that it's almost like a reality. Like there is this, you know, I like. Uh, yeah, I like dealing. No, I don't like dealing with. I don't like you know. I don't like this, but you know, we we deal with a lot of the the marriage crisis. You know, the people who are who are. But I know that I I, I recently spoke to a few people who deal with like the shidduch crisis, and it's it's a very challenging side of things. It's not it's it's not a, an easy thing um, to talk about. Um, there are people out there who are doing some some work on this, and it's it's definitely something which and, and has, with, with all that work, by the way. The, the, you know, from the question, they're they're there's some that's just not in their hands, right? It's not in their hands. There's no names. There's no shidduchim. There's no stuff coming around, and it's really, really a difficult situation. And that's saying it nicely to be in. You know, for a single girl, it's it's really, really difficult. But there are single girls out there that aren't dating correctly. Maybe they're not realistic, and there are single boys out there that are not dating correctly. They're not being realistic. Maybe they're not even going on dates. Maybe there were things that came up that they could have taken, that they could have gone out with, that they chose not to. Same thing from some of the girls, their families or whoever. They're just not being realistic about what they should be looking for or doing. And ultimately, without tefillah, this whole thing isn't going anywhere. Yeah. This whole thing is only up to Kosh Baruch Every part of this is Hashem. So we got to daven. Davening can turn over the whole world. It can change anything. So daven first. And then make sure you're dating. Now, when you're dating, make sure you're doing it properly and be realistic about what's coming up in life. Like we said, where you're headed, what you're, where's this going? What are my needs? What are my needs? What are her needs? What, what, what is this supposed to be? And be realistic about, you know, who the person is and what am I looking for? So. There you go. Hey, really okay. want to add anything? No, 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 no. Uh, something else later on. Yeah. I just want to, okay. I want to throw this in there just, just on my wife's behalf. My wife, um, Baruch Hashem, she teaches a lot of kalas, and she's she's incredible. And she, a lot of times she she says to people that when, you know, we had a question before, and one of us made a comment about how a lot of people who are dating, they may feel like a little bit um, in despair, you know? Like, it sounds like there's so, this avoida, it's so much hard work. So my wife, my wife likes to tell people that when you're in a good marriage, you should feel, I want to list this off, I think it's an important thing, you should feel appreciated accepted, needed, useful, cared about, supported, trusted, understood, safe, and valued. And this goes to a point that I was making in the beginning, that a lot of people, they date, they just date. It's like Dave and Busters, and, and they go for a walk on the boardwalk, and then go here. It's, it's, it's a lot of dating in, in that sense, but they're not necessarily focused on that emotional connection. But when you're able to like ask yourself like a real question, do I feel useful? Do I feel respected? Do I feel like somebody cares about me? Do I feel like this person is going to be able to support me? I'm not talking just financial. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Like, if I have a problem, is this the guy I want to talk to? Is this the person I'm going to want to lean on? If I had a bad day, do I want to come home to this? You know, like, if you ask yourself that question and the answer is yes, then you probably are, you're probably dating the right person. You're probably, you know, and even somebody who's married, this is not, again, dating and married, it's not like two different sugyas. You know, these are the people who date and then these are the people who get married. It's not like that. It's all one and the same. It's, it's the runway and it's the plane on the runway. So people who are married, a lot of a lot of marriages, unfortunately, it's just it's just every day it's the same it's the same you know hamster wheel. But if a person wants to improve his marriage, or a person wants to start giving to their spouse emotionally, start focusing on this. Like your spouse needs to feel accepted and appreciated and needed and useful and cared about and supported and trusted and understood oh, and safe and valued. And then you should no, it's not so long. It's like eight right. or ten things. And and if you focus on one and you do that for a full month, it will become a part of your marriage. And then your spouse will start to change and respond to you rather than just being like, oh, well, I don't know, you know, what's going on over here. Yes, these are giving the other person emotional things. And then you could send my wife an email and say, thank you very much for changing my life. <laughs> so you're pointing out that I think, wait, let me encapsulate what your wife is saying. She's saying not just what to look for when you're dating, but she's saying that's actually a benefit. You're going to find one of the great wonderful things you'll find in a marriage is that you'll feel useful, Correct. accepted, appreciated, needed, um, cared for, memorized. safe, valued. Very good. Though you see, you have, you memorized it already and we just <laughs> mentioned it right now, but yes, a hundred percent, it will be there. Sometimes it will be there just because it will be there. And sometimes it will be there because you consciously focus on this is what I'm doing today. It's like, it's like if you park in Brooklyn, we have these parking meters, right? So you always have to like set yourself a reminder to like run out and feed the meter or now they have an app. So if you set yourself reminders for those kinds of things, so set yourself a reminder every day to give to your spouse, but give is a very general word. If you know what you're giving them, if you're focused on what you're actually giving them, then chances are your relationship will actually grow much faster rather than just being like, well, I don't know what it is. You know, somebody gave me orchids, orchids for, um, for, for Shavuos. They're beautiful, like stunning. Orchids are like really a nice, gorgeous flower. And they gave this whole thing for Shavuos. It was really, really nice and very appreciated. And we were like, you know, you're feeding orchids, whatever, you know, you put in some ice or some water and, you know, whatever. And then we were like, one second, these things really could live like over a decade. Orchids could live over a decade. You know, a lot of things you buy for Shabbos, a lot of flowers, like you, you buy them and then they just, they just, they're dead. You know, like you light candles and they're all just like, you know, like they're done. <laughs> orchids happen to be a really beautiful flower that can last for a very long time. All the men are running out of buying orchids this week and then never buying anything else ever again. That's what I got. It's a great investment, by the way. It's a great investment. Exactly. If you want your wife to have great flowers every single Shabbos, get an orchid because it could last for 10 years. And you can always turn every Shabbos and say, don't say I don't buy you anything. I bought you orchids. I have flowers for Shabbos. (laughs) So, So we were like doing that. And then we were like, well, let's see how an orchid actually survives. And we went online and we, we, we saw like, it's not as simple as just putting an ice cube so that it's slow. like, there's a little bit more to this, but if we do this, this could last for 10 years. If we don't do this, it'll die in 10 weeks. So which one do you want to do? It's just like a little investment of being very conscious about what you're giving and how you're giving can totally change the dynamic of what you have. It could become long, long-term sustainable rather than something that was nice. It was nice for sure. And then by the time the summer comes, it's dead. Life is like that. Marriage is like that. You just have to know to give very, very specific and defined. Okay, so that that will definitely segue to the next question, which is great. I love how the the, no, you're segueing tonight. Your mom, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my son has got a hoverboard. I'm feeling like you know, it's just uh, segue. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do this one. Um, This is more more nitty gritty practical. How can one build their spouse's confidence? And uh, the caveat here is just plain old compliments don't seem to be working. Um, how do you build a spouse's confidence? I don't know. If, if you ask me, if you really believe in them, you can build. You can't. It's, it's difficult to fake everything all the time. And there is what to believe in. I had this conversation with various G'dayle, G'dayle Rashi Yeshivas, and I, I asked, you know, we were talking about building Bakram and building people, and they all seem to have the same idea. You have to really believe in that person. You have to believe that they can do it. Then you can build their confidence. Of course, compliments help. Of course, you know, explaining to them that they're, they're incredible, they're amazing. But if you deep down inside don't believe it and you don't really feel it, they will feel that you don't feel it. They'll feel that it's an empty compliment. If 
if your your wife says to you, oh, wow, that was an amazing job, and you know that she doesn't mean it, then you're not getting vilified. You're just going to walk away thinking to yourself, okay, enough. That didn't mean anything. And if he's going to say to her, you're the most incredible wife in the world, because that's what someone told him to say, she's going to say, you know, I, I'm sure you're saying that, and I believe that, that you're saying it, but it's probably because someone told you to say it, because I don't think that you really feel it. We can really feel when someone believes in us. And that's how you build the confidence, by believing in the person. Parents who believe in their children create children who are going to be confident. Parents who are constantly doubting their child's ability to do something. And they're always saying, oh, don't do that because it's so difficult. Don't do that. You're going to fail. Don't do that. Or even if they say, oh, yeah, I'm sure you could do it. And deep down inside, they don't really believe it. The kid's not going to have the confidence. Same thing goes with the spouse. We need, and so you say, well, one second, maybe I don't really believe it. Okay, that's an avoida to work on believing that and thinking to yourself, just because I think they can't do it, who says I'm right? Who says I have the right to judge? No, they're a capable person. They took on this job. They're going to do it. I believe they're going to do it. I know they could do it. And look inside that person for some nikuda, some something that shows you that they are capable of it. And a lot has to do with our perception of the other person. We can look at people. I, I remember, if I'm pretty sure it was Ernestine Sweet told me that when, when we look at somebody, we can actually look at them with a perception of they are capable of doing this or they're incapable of doing this. We can, we can look at them and think, well, yeah, I, I believe they can do this. And they'll feel that. And when they feel that, they will be able to do it. They'll find the strength to do it because someone really believes in me. Parents believe in children. Spouses believe in each other. When spouses believe in each other, they can accomplish unbelievable things. When Rebbeim believe in Talmidim, those Talmidim can grow. I once had an argument with some parents. That, that it wasn't really, it wasn't, Talmud wasn't in my shear. It was in somebody else's shear. And um, the, the kid was Barsham doing beautifully. He came to Yeshiva. He was doing incredible he was learning, he was growing, he was staging in so many ways, he was becoming a real person. And his parents were telling him to do different things, come home, go here, go there. And every time his parents called him and said something, he went to his Rebbe and he asked his Rebbe, what should I do? And they talked about it and he decided not to do that. After one or two of these you know, little tips with his parents, his parents called me up to ask me what to do with the Rebbe because obviously he listens to his Rebbe. And I knew this boy. And I asked the parents, uh, tell me, in the last 20 years, have you given him a compliment? Comes out, not much. Do you build him up? Do you believe in him? No. So what do you want from him? He hasn't succeeded. And now he came to Yeshiva and he has a Rebbe who believes in him, who builds him up. So you think he's not going to listen to him? We, we want to have successes in our lives. To have those successes, we need to feel people believe in us that no matter what it is, we can, every man will tell you the same thing. If his wife believes in him, he's able to do it. If his wife doesn't believe in him, no matter what it is, it could be the simplest task. He won't have the kayak to do it. He could build worlds if he knows his wife believes in him for real, inside. Same thing with men. Their wives, they can do tremendous things at home if they know that their husband believes that they can do it. They believe, oh, that's amazing. Then we can do it. Don't believe in them. It doesn't work. It doesn't go. So we need to really focus on the perception of who says I'm right. Who says that they don't have the ability. I'll bet you I can find some Nakuda in them that shows me that they can do it. But I have to have the positive perception to find the good in the person. And then I'll be able to really believe that they can do it. So if we're down the cups for real, it doesn't mean down the cup's chus because we see something negative. It means down the cup's chus that I find the good in this person and I respect it, and therefore I believe in them, then we're going to see that we can actually do it and they'll take off. Actually, Roy, you want to answer that? Yeah, I just, want to, I just want to throw in um, two things over here, which I think are very important. Um, one is, is that the confidence, I think that there's the concept of confidence, self-esteem, which we, we always talk about how it, you know, 
originates what we what we would call father a father spending time with his children um, versus a mother who is more the emotional um, health and well-being of a person which is its own sugya which is something that we we talk about on the dating seminar and the marriage seminar it's not I don't want to talk about that right now but there's there's two things that I do want to focus on which I think are very important one is is that the more if you say to the average person do you know how to play the trumpet the answer is no right if you give them a trumpet and you say play they're gonna, they're not gonna they're not gonna know where to start right the way that a person learns to play anything any instrument or becomes successful at anything in life is that they do it they spend hundreds and thousands of hours doing it and then they have the ability to get up on stage and just rock out a concert because and they take a solo and they have the spotlight on them and they have the lights and the camera and everything because they they not because they showed up tonight but because they showed up a million times in the past the confidence is is something that's developed usually if it's a skill it's by putting in many 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 hours so it's it's of course it starts by somebody believing in the person's ability but a lot of times what i find is that you then have to harness that belief and channel it into something practical so that the person can actually become good at something so that they can become skilled at something so that they can look at themselves in the mirror and say i am a rock star and they can feel like a rock star because they actually put many many hours into something and i what what i believe happens is that as our lives go on our expectations for ourselves tremendously grows for who we are. So when a person is, you know, is, I don't know, when they're 25 and they're giving a share and there's five people who show up, you know, they might be like, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. And then it, it's just nothing, you know, when by the time they're 28, by the time they're 30, as life goes on, you know, now it's like if 500 people show up, then you get nervous. If a thousand people show up, you get nervous. Every, every expectation in our life, it just grows and it increases no matter what it is. When it's in the business world, you know, in the beginning, it's like a thousand dollars is a lot of money. I spoke to a guy last week. He said, I'm, I'm raking it in. Like I'm making so much money. I said, how much money are you making? He says, $2,000 a month. Cavaldic, you know, it's great. In the beginning, $2,000 a month is a lot of money, right? Then it's like, you know, in a few hours, you can make $2,000. Like as your life goes on, your hasagas completely change. And our expectations of ourselves will change as our life goes on. So confidence in the beginning is not really where the challenge is going to be. It's going to be much later on as you're dealing with real crises and medical issues and parents who are getting older and all of those things. So as your expectation for your life goes, I think it's important for a person to develop the confidence from the beginning, but to continue building that. The idea of somebody just living their life drinking iced coffees every day is is your your life will eventually catch up to you and it'll be like, no, you didn't build yourself to where you need to be to be able to cope and deal with all of life's challenges at the stages that life will require you to be there. Okay. Well, that, I, I know you want to move on. I just want to add one very short thing to something. Go ahead. Up. Do it. It's 60 just seconds. a story. It's a real story. There was once, there, there was a guy, there, there was a yeshiva. And in this yeshiva, there were two boys. We'll give them names, okay? They're both named Moshe. Two boys, Moshe. Now, one boy, Moshe, was the tall, skinny one. And the other Moshe was a shorter one. The <laughs> tall, skinny Moshe, they used to call him the tall Moshe. He was an Eloi, he was a Masmid, and he was definitely headed to be big stuff. Okay, He was mamish like, like the cream of the crop. The shorter Moshe was just never really successful in school. He was kind of a la yutzlach, and he was like, you know, plopping around yeshiva, kind of waiting to get married, and eventually he'll get married and he'll move on. One day, a very rich fellow came to the reshiva, and he said, look, I want somebody that's going to become something for my daughter. I want a good boy, obviously, but I want, you know, I want to pick something good. And the Rashiva said, listen, yeah, no problem. There's a guy here. His name is Moshe, but you should know there's two Moshe's. Make sure you get the skinny Moshe, not the other Moshe. He said, okay, fine. So they approached a certain Shadchan and asked the Shadchan to please take care of this, giving him exactly all the details. And unfortunately, the Shadchan uh, said he would do it. And a little while before he had a chance to do it, he got, he was unwell, he got sick, he was in the hospital. So this wealthy fellow found a bocher or something like that to help read the shidduch. Obviously not someone too professional. The bocher said he was told Moshe. So he thought, okay, Moshe. In his mind, Moshe, I don't know Moshe, he went to the shorter Moshe, the one who wasn't going to be a successful, the one who wasn't scholastically inclined, the one who wasn't you know, slated to be a god lahador, the other Moshe. And he read the shidduch and Moshe says, that the daughter of the rich guy, for me, like that makes no sense. So he goes to his mother 
And his mother says, something's wrong here. It doesn't make sense. Why would they want you? But you know what? If they came and they said that they want you, like, grab it, go on the date. So they go out. And the girl knows that this Moshe is supposed to be an Eloi, right? This Moshe is supposed to be the Masmid of the Yeshiva. This is supposed to be the most Chosh of a thing in the world. So she looks at him. She's like, yeah, I, I guess so. He's great. They go out once or twice or three times, whatever, and they get engaged and they get married. And he's a nice boy. She has no reason not to, right? Nice boy. Everything's great. Comes the first while after the marriage. And at the beginning, he wasn't really going to Yeshiva. He wasn't doing anything because he's not the biggest Masmid. You know. But she thought to herself, okay, I guess this is just how he is. I, I don't know. But she knew in her heart that this is the next God Hadar. Because that's what they told her. This guy's going to be the God Hadar. And he started to feel like, hey, my wife really respects me. So one day he said a vort at the table and she really reacted nicely to it. And he felt good. The more he felt good about himself and didn't feel like a loser, he started to go learn a little more. And he, more. And the more he came back that he learned, the more she felt proud. And this just spiraled upwards again and again and again and again. And he, Baruch Hashem, he was matzliach beyond what anybody would have imagined. And he taka became something very, very big. Down the line, years down the line, it came out in a conversation. And she realized that he that she married the wrong Moshe. And she said something to him like, uh-oh, I, I, like, what happened here? And he was very down. He was very down. And he said to her, so... You mean that this whole thing was a fake? So I'm really nothing? And she said, no. She said, everything I believed in you, I believed in you. And you became more than I possibly could have ever imagined, and I value it all. Don't take what I thought, right? That was wrong. And and, and she made amends for, for that part. But just the thought that she knew she was getting the Godel Hador built the confidence in this boy to be able to really become something. All his years in school didn't do it. All his urbeim didn't manage it. All his yeshivas and friends and everybody didn't manage it. He got married to a girl who didn't even know who he was, but believed in him based on what she was told. All of a sudden, incredible. And he soars. So really building that confidence, if there's real belief in there on the other person, it's going to come. It's going to go. And he'll take on those challenges. Like Ruven said, you want to be able to go from level to level to level to level and not be scared of it? Yes, but someone's got to believe in you to give you the backing to be able to do it. Wow. Okay, Dove, one more question. Let's get one more in here. Okay, if you want to give me one more. This one came in on email, and I think I think uh, Ari Bentushan addressed this in your first uh, piece, so I'll, 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 throw, and we, I'll throw it out to you. Let's see. Married for many years, and corona quarantine is killing. It's bringing out the worst of them uh, spouses, children, uh, what's the advice you can give? And I'm going to remind you what Ari said. Ari said there's so much more we can gain when, in, in these times where we're working so hard. But maybe you want to say it yourself. Sure. Rabbi Calavan, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I go ahead. I defer to you. On okay. That. I, I, it's funny because in the beginning of the show, I was actually going to say something, which I didn't say because I was rambling on and on. And I figured, you know, I won't say it, but, but now it actually pertains to this. I, I want to tell you, you know, a, a, a thing that struck me over the last couple of days. Um, the last few months, people couldn't Lamashal, go to their barber, right? Now, if I would have told you a year ago that I think that your wife should give you a haircut, <laughs> okay? So I think most men would probably say over my dead body, there's no way this woman is taking scissors or, or anything remotely close to my head if she thinks there's no way. It's just not happening. But as the reality set in, <laughs> that you don't have a choice. You're either going to look like you're going like a nine-month Svira, you know, or, you know, you're going you're gonna to allow her to take this machine that you know you could walk around with a massive bald spot for the next six months. You're going to entrust your wife and allow her to do it because you just don't have a choice. And what struck me is not that barbers aren't good. They're good. But at the end of the day, like you do what you got to do. You adapt when you when you have to adapt. And I, I can tell you from being an accountant that there were a few, few of my clients which called me in the beginning of, the, of Corona and they were panicking. They were very nervous. They said, you know, this is what I do. Um, this is my business structure. And what am I going to do about the fact that it's now Corona and I can't interact with people? And I had one person who's a therapist who does therapy, you know, in person. I said, 
you will figure this out because you don't have a choice. There's no in-person meeting. So you're either going to figure out how to do it by Zoom or you're going to figure out how to do it by phone. You will figure this out because you don't have a choice. This corona life is very different than any of us expected you know, our lives to be. If you would have said, what are your 2020 plans? Most people would never have said, I'm going to be quarantined with my whole family, you know, for six months and, and deal with, you know, riots across America. And nobody would have ever seen this coming in a million years, but it came. And the question now is, what are you doing about it? And I think that your question really goes back to what we said before. Don't say Corona ruined our marriage. Don't say, <laughs> don't say Corona killed our marriage. And don't say, that, you know, because we were in quarantine, that's why we're suffering so much. The reason you're suffering so much is because you allow yourself to suffer. The reason you're suffering so much is because you're not adapting to the reality of the circumstances that you're in. If you want to fetch after being quarantined for two days, that, yes, yeah, listen, we're quarantined for two days. This is new. We don't know how to figure this out. That I could understand. But when it's three, four, five months later, and you're still in quarantine saying, ah, this is ruining our marriage. This is ruining our lives. At a certain point, you have to learn to adapt. You have to learn to like go out on walks together, figure out how to do things differently than it was before. And there's no such thing as saying, I couldn't, we don't know what to do because of this. And, and the point that I wanted to drive at is that I don't know if my barber is going to continue getting my business after Corona, because at the end of the day, there's a lot more skills. Yeah, you just got to keep getting a bigger yarmulke. The yarmulke keeps growing to the point where you're just sitting there with like a bucket on your head because, you know, I'm kidding. But give us a tip. I, give us a tip. Don't just tell us that we, you messed it up in the past few months. Give us a tip. How do we make it work? You, you learn to adapt. You couldn't do what you did before. You couldn't go out to restaurants because restaurants are closed. There's, there's parks that you could go out for walks. You know, you spend more time with your children, spend more time with your wife. You couldn't get a babysitter, so take your kids out. There's a million different ways that you can figure out how to make your marriage grow. There's no such thing as putting a marriage on hold. There's no such thing. I want to say this very clearly. There's no such thing as a time out for marriage. It very rarely works. You cannot tell a woman who has emotional needs on a daily basis, you cannot say, I am busy right now, I don't have time for you right now, but I will come back in a few days. In theory, it's mikubal, it's acceptable. But in practice, it is not acceptable. No, right, no woman, or man for that matter, right, can you say the words, I'm putting this on timeout right now, and I will check back in in a while. There has to be a constant, consistent, every single day, um, a, a dedication and a practical application of giving to each other. And I think it's a great time to mention this, that the summer's coming up. So even if couples are going to be spending the summer apart, there really has to be a doubling down during the times that they're not together and a doubling down, especially during the times that they are together on the, on the weekends or Shabbat or whatever the case may be, because you cannot put a marriage on hold. It does not go on hold. It's not meant to be on hold. It's something that has to be consistent and you have to be able to put in the time. So Corona or not Corona, or whether you have a challenge, you don't have a challenge. If somebody has to show somebody in the hospital, so it's a challenge. You have to figure out how you're going to make it work. Every, everything in life being adaptable being adaptable is a necessary component, and especially during these times. We're so far into corona that people can't be asking this question anymore. If you didn't figure it out by now, you seek, seek call me, send me an email. I will help you get your marriage back on track. It, it just it, You have to figure it out by now already. We're doing this since like February or March. You know what I'm saying? It's Purim. Nobody could even remember Purim. It's been like a million years ago. It has to be figured out by this point because it's just, if not, you're just not, you're just I, not I know, doing that. I know, we're, I know we're over, but I just want to add to what you're saying. We don't get to choose what our avoda is on any single day. That's up to Hashem. The other day I was speaking to a close friend in Eretz Yisrael, and we haven't seen each other, and he made a, made a chasanan. And I just said to him, look, Hashem is going to choose when I get to see you. It's not up to us. And when we get up every single day, including every single day of corona, it doesn't matter what we decided our avoda is supposed to be. Because Baruch Hu decided our avoid is supposed to be locked up in our homes with our wives, with our children, with our families, that that's it. And now we're supposed to work on this in that way. We're not supposed to do what it is that we wanted to do. This was Hashem's way of saying, no, 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 no. You're going to do what I'm telling you to do. Right now, the avoid is going to be here the same way we couldn't daven in shuls. Our avoid was to work on our tefillah by ourselves in our home, even though we wanted to go to shul. We desperately wanted to go to shul. We needed to go to shul. But Hashem said, I, I understand that. But now I want you to work on davening at home, even though it's not what you want. And I want you to work on your marriage with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your family, with whatever, because you're at home. And if we recognize that every single day of our lives, corona or no corona, 
Today, this is your Avaidah. Like you said, somebody in has to go to a hospital today. That's his Avaidah. I once had a Chabrusa. <clears throat> this man never missed a tefillah. And I mean, his davening was a real, real Avaidah for him in a beautiful way. Incredible, incredible mamin. Incredible. An Oni. And he learned every single day. I, the man is an incredible person. And one day, it came out in a conversation that one of his children was born on Yom Kippur. The child was born on Yom Kippur. And I asked him, I, I, what did you do for Dominic? I mean, Yom Kippur, it's like the avoid of the tefillah of the whole year. How did you deal with not being able to go to Shul? I, I don't understand. What, what, what do you mean? The same Hashem who told me to daven now told me, take your wife to the hospital. Now told me to, you know, daven in this minion because I managed to hop a minion in, in, in the hospital. I managed to hop a shul on the way back and back and all around. And said, that's what Kosh Baruch wanted from me. That's my avoida. We make the avoida. We, we do the avoida. We don't get to choose what it is. We just get to choose whether we're going to do it and how we're going to do it with a smile or not. The same thing, corona, no corona, marriage, that every part of it is the same thing. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dove, and thank you to Rabbi Khalifan. Thank you both very, very much. I just want to remind our viewers, again, anybody wants to sign up to the smaller Zoom meetings which are happening through NASA, they can sign up at nasanow at gmail.com, N-A-A-S-E-H-N-O-W at gmail.com. Next week, we will Amir Shem, be back for show number 13 with Rabbi Svi Sittner, and then number 14 with Rabbi Yassi Ben Shushan. Thank you all for tuning in. We will miss- You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.